Cain screwed up, God is merciful. God is still protecting Cain. He sets a mark on him. What kind of mark? I don't know. I know you guys all want me to tell you what the mark looks like or what it is. I just don't know. It doesn't say. But the reality is, is God is protecting Cain, even though Cain doesn't deserve it. And that's the gospel. Once again, that God, even though we make a million mistakes, God is still gracious to us and for us. In the Bible, many times God says that he doesn't change, that his character is what it is, and that his consistency is something we can rely on. Pastor Daniel's telling of the case of Cain is a perfect example of that. You'll see that God punished Cain for the murder he committed, but God never closed the door on Cain. Cain did that. And that's an important lesson for us. No matter how far we stray, God's always waiting for us to return to him. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 4 as he continues his message, Cain and Abel. Now I'm not scared of Satan. I'm scared of myself. Satan can only be a cheerleader for me to do what I want to do naturally in rebellion against God. But when I realize, like God tells Cain, that sin is waiting at the door, waiting to pounce. It's pursuing me with desire, like a woman for her husband. But notice, he doesn't say, and you're a dead duck. He says, but you should rule over it. Although the pursuit of sin is a reality, we have the victory. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So the victory over sin was blood-bought at Calvary's cross for us by Jesus. And the power to live that out is placed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But for so many of us, we like sin, don't we? We like it. We like its pursuit. We like its games. The Puritan John Owen, in his great book, The Mortification of Sin, if you ever hear about this book, you always always hear about one line where John Owen said this, you're either killing sin or sin is killing you. And brothers and sisters, that's the gospel truth. You're either killing it or it's killing you. And that's why Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye calls you sin, pluck that baby out. That's the new Daniel translation of that verse. He didn't say that baby. <laughs> now listen, Jesus isn't a God of amputation. He doesn't want us walking around with eye patches. He's saying deal ruthlessly with it. Don't play with it. It's going to kill you if you play with it. Fascinating. It's like God's given Cain the chance here. But look at what happens. Verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Wow. 
Cain would not listen to the voice of the Lord. He wouldn't. He spoke to his brother. It's like Cain invited Abel out into the wilderness. That's what he did. He set his brother up. And they got out there in the middle of nowhere. He rose up against them. And he killed them. And he killed them. Wow. Now, from here, things start to spiral pretty seriously. Look what happens in verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Wow. Notice God leads with a question again. Again, where is Abel your brother? And Cain thinks that he's going to fake God out. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You know what the answer to that question is? The answer is yes. You are your brother's keeper. You know, and I pray that as a church, and not only Crossroads, but the greater body of Christ, that we start to develop God's heart for the family of God. Because we live in a very individualistic culture. Hyper-individualism. And there's so many of us right now who you read that and you just yawn and want to go to the next verse, but you're in a situation right now where God is pressing on your heart to help a brother or a sister, and you're saying, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know what's going on. God's love is shown by our love for others. I mean, listen to Matthew chapter 25. When Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats, when he put the goats on his left hand, he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Every time we come alongside someone in need, we do it as we're doing it to Jesus. Every time we help someone, it's as if we're helping Jesus. That's the way he looks at it. Now, in verse 10, God is not buying what Cain is selling here. In verse 10, and he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, what's fascinating about this verse, about this verse right here, is that that word blood, the voice of your brother's blood, in Hebrew, it's actually in the plural. It's in the plural form. The voice of your brother's bloods cry out for me to the ground. You know why? Because in the way Jewish people and that culture thought about it, when somebody died in an unjust way, not only was their blood crying out for justice, but all of the subsequent generations that should have come from that person cry out as well. You guys know where I'm going with this, don't you? Think about this. According to God's law, 
The shedding of innocent blood defiles the land. Listen to it. Numbers chapter 35, verses 33 and 34. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land. For the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it, therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of which I dwell For I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. See, the shedding of innocent blood defiles a land because it cries out from the ground for justice. And when you realize that as a nation, America has a lot of innocent blood on our hands, don't we? When a life is taken... All of the generations that could have came cry out for justice as well. That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? See, God loves life. As Christians, we should promote life at every turn. We should seek to work for the preservation of life. That is God's heart. We're going to see this over and over again. Through the law, God's heart for the preservation of life. It's amazing. He says, what have you done? Your brother's bloods cry out. It's crying out to me from the ground. Look at verse 11. It says, so now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be On the earth, in verse 13, and Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So the judgment for Cain because of Abel's murder was, again, that the earth will be cursed again. I mean, it's already been cursed in Adam. Now there's a further cursing, and it will no longer yield its strength. So he's saying that what was already hard because of what Adam did, now it's even going to get harder for you. That tilling the ground, which was his vocation, was going to get harder. And then it says that you're going to be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, which means that he's going to be a roamer. He's going to be fearing for his life. But notice, God's judgment for what he did to Abel, now Cain takes it, and Cain is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And guys, this is exactly what sin does to us, right here. Listen, Sin has consequences, but when somebody is walking in rebellion against God, they do exactly what Cain does. Look what Cain says. My punishment is greater than I can bear. You've driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. Cain's saying, look, because of what I've done, you're saying that this is what's going to happen. I'm fleeing from you now. I'm out of here, God. I don't know how often in me getting to share my faith with people, when I talk to people who once believed in Jesus and they stray from them, it's always because of some sinful lifestyle decision that they made. And listen, when we're trying to justify sin, we'll do anything to get away from God, won't we? We've all done it, right? 
Because you realize that what you're doing is wrong and you don't want it to be wrong. So you start running from God. You start just, I'm out of here. God never said, look, you're not allowed to be in my presence anymore. God just said, look, what you're doing is consequences. And he says, look, God, I'm out of here. I'm fleeing from your presence. But it's interesting that Cain is concerned that someone is going to kill him. And everyone always says, well, how is it possible that Cain could be killed if he killed his brother Abel? Right? Isn't that some of you are thinking that? And in the second, we're going to see in verse 16 or 17 that Cain has a wife. So everyone starts saying, well, how is this possible? Now, there's a simple explanation of this. So I want to explain it to you really easy. The reality is, is when you look at Genesis chapter 5, in verse 3, it says, And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So by the end of this chapter, we're going to see Seth being born. Seth's going to be born when Adam is 130. And he's going to have more sons and daughters. And we know that Adam, of course, is going to... He lived 130 years, and then he's going to live 800 more years. You know how many kids you can have in 800 years? A lot. And if you notice in all these genealogies, they never name the women. So over 800 years, Adam and Eve, I mean, there could be 20 generations. Adam and Eve's great, 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 to 20 generations grandchildren. And revenge killings has been a common thing in every culture. And you say, oh, that never happens in America. Just watch West Side Story from the 50s. Those of you who remember West Side Story, you know what I'm talking about. So the reality is, is that Cain was concerned that at some point there was going to be a reckoning for Abel from someone within the family. So it's very, very common. Now that means, of course, and we'll get to in a second, that Cain married his sister. And if you're the only people on the earth, that's just what has to happen. It's not like some sort of a Mormon thing. I'm being cheeky a little bit. You have to realize also that as you move on, I'll explain this as we go, but as you move on, especially once we get deep into the law, it says you can't marry immediate family members. For the first family, they were the only people on the earth, so it wouldn't have caused deformity. Sin didn't have its full blossom yet, and all of that. Now, it's amazing that Cain is worried about a mercy killing. And then in verse 15, it says, And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. You know what I love about this? Even though Cain screwed up, God is merciful. God is still protecting Cain. He sets a mark on him. What kind of mark? I don't know. I know you guys all want me to tell you what the mark looks like or what it is. I just don't know. It doesn't say. But the reality is, is God is protecting Cain, even though Cain doesn't deserve it. And that's the gospel, once again. That God, even though we make a million mistakes, God is still gracious to us and for us. Now, in verse 16, it says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Cain is in exile from God. And dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad begot Mehujael, and Mehujael begot 
Methusael. Methusael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Adah bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwelt in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ad and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So as Cain goes out... Cain's offspring begin to populate the earth in ways that we understand. The building of cities. You notice that? Cain builds a city. Now, does that make a city an evil place? No. It's just what they did. See, we're seeing civilization come together. You look at their descendants. These descendants all did different things. They dwelt in tents and have livestock. So we're talking about shepherding communities. The father of those who play the harp and flute, the arts and music. An instructor of craftsmen in bronze and iron. Metalworking, precious things. So we're seeing the development of culture. Now, what's fascinating here is that in verse 19, we get the first mention of polygamy. Lamech took for himself two wives. Okay? Now, what's interesting is that because it is in the narrative does not mean it is normative. What's interesting is that when the Old Testament was written, specifically these first five books, the two things that are undercut in the book of Genesis that were common in the days that it was written was that men married multiple wives. That is a form of the subjugation of females. We know that. When one man is married to more than one woman, that is a way of keeping women subjugated. And why do you think it's so important to Jesus that men only marry one woman? So you have that. And then also, of course, the right of inheritance being to the firstborn son. Two very common things. Both of them are undercut. From the very, very beginning, every time we see polygamy in the Old Testament, it's painted in a bad light. We see Cain was the firstborn, Abel was the secondborn. But whose offering was accepted? Abel. Right? Esau and Jacob. Who gets chosen? Jacob. Ishmael and Isaac, who gets chosen? So again, the Bible in every generation is subversive to the predominant paradigm of what's going on. Now, remember I told you that this chapter in some ways is about the progression of sin? Look what happens in verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Adon Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. See, we got this guy. He's boasting to his wives that he killed somebody for hurting them. You know, I was just joking with our School of Ministry Evangelism class. You guys ever see the bumper sticker, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind? Do you guys know that bumper sticker? A lot of people hear that and they say, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's bad. See, the reason that is put in the law is because 
God knows that humanity escalates. We've always escalated. See, even this guy right here, he's saying to them, listen, a man wounded me, so I killed him. The reason it says the laws of strict justice, an eye for an eye, is because if you poke up my eye, I'm going to chop your head off. And you might say, oh, it's not really like that. Just look at the last disagreement you had with somebody. Right? Isn't that how it is? Something goes on, you get upset, and then somebody says something that hurts you, and you're going to hurt them even more. And then they hurt you even more. See, in our fallenness, escalation is the norm. It's the norm. Lamech is thinking, oh, you know, I just killed the guy for wounding me, and if Cain was going to be avenged sevenfold, then I'm going to be avenged 70 times sevenfold. He thinks that God's got his back. But it's just sin. Run amok. But you know what's awesome? Verses 25 and 26, let's be close. It says this, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. See, when things get real nasty in the Bible, when the story is grim, there is always God's provision. This is what I love about the Lord. Even when judgment is declared, grace is also declared. Even when things are going bad, good things are in store. We know that the name Seth literally means appointed. Notice, God has appointed another seed. In Eve's mind, she's thinking about that promise she received in Genesis chapter 3.15 about her seed conquering the serpent seed. It's awesome. Seth is the next one. And of course, Seth is going to have a son named Enosh. And I love it. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Cain said, I'm going to flee from God. I'm going to flee from his presence. But God has another line. And we know, when you look at the genealogy in Luke chapter 3, which goes all the way back to Adam, it goes from Adam to Seth to Enosh, all the way on down to Jesus. And brothers and sisters, listen, if you're here today, things aren't going well. Maybe you feel that all the things you're doing, judgments awaiting you. Listen, God's grace is right there for you. God's desire to be merciful is always there. He always has a line of salvation. He always has an escape route. Always. If we would simply ask for it. Jesus is As awful as Cain murdering his brother was, it was startling to hear his attitude toward God, his lack of remorse over what he'd done. Pastor Daniel talked about that at length and showed the danger we could be in if we become callous toward the sin in our lives. The great thing, though, was that even in Cain's defiance and rudeness towards God, God was always ready to forgive Cain and receive him back into the family of God. 
Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio and Pastor Daniel starts up his new teaching, Prelude to the Flood. He'll get into the genealogy of the descendants of Adam, showing the significance of some of those men. You'll hear about the continuing wickedness of the people on the earth as they get further away from God's rules. And you'll learn of God's brokenheartedness and even regret as he watches these things happen. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Origins. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.